0: Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. I'm Gemma Cray and I'm chatting with director Lisa Mulcahy about a really wonderful film, Lies We Tell. Thank you for chatting with us. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of start from the beginning of the, the project, if that's OK. So um, can you tell me a little bit about working on the script and, and how it
1: came together? So um, I was working on a TV series Um, and Elizabeth Gooch approached me who's the writer of the film and Elizabeth and I had met maybe in about 2016 or something like that on a writing course, uh, um, uh, an adaptation course and we just really liked each other and got on well and kind of stayed in touch you know occasionally but anyway she approached me said she had this project would I be interested I'm not sure at that stage if she had a full script or if it was just a treatment in the first 25 pages but even uh, knowing Elizabeth if it was a treatment it would have been a very very well worked out and thought out treatment so uh, I said yes she uh, had already teamed up with Ruth Carter who's the producer and um there was this scheme that this that Screen Ireland were running, the POV scheme, which was basically to promote um female voices in the creative um uh, roles within the film industry, you know. And, um and so that's how we got together and then we went through the process to apply to be chosen as one of the POV films that took a couple of rounds um, and and then eventually we won one of the four films that were chosen to be produced. Uh, there's been some absolutely
0: incredible films come through the this. And, and this is just another example. I didn't realize that um, one of the things I saw on the credits was that you and, and that the budget was a little bit higher than the POV scheme. So was there another pot that you guys were able to access for anything there?
1: No, it wasn't. Um, I I think the budget included, uh, I think the POV screen was a certain amount, but there was also a certain amount over and above that, which was development. So it was the development of the project. So like a number, a number of projects before they were selected were given initial development. Uh, so that the teams could work on on their pitches and on their scripts and everything like that. And then so there was the development project. So, no, we we weren't uh, we weren't everybody at the same. My understanding is everybody at the same amount of money.
0: Yeah, because it just it's so um, it's so little for a a beautiful, polished period piece. And I mean, even I mean, the caliber of films that has come out of the POV scheme, um, that is it The I'm not your mother, like all all any ones yeah. that I have seen again, like they look like they've cost a
1: million <laughs> like <laughs> you know, like when you when you look at them. Yeah. So you are not my mother is one of them and sunlight and Antonia Campbell's Hughes, it is in
0: us all and they're all so different in tone. And so sort of brave and very strong in what they're saying. For mm-hmm. like, you know, like that's that's one of the things that I think is, is so interesting about the, the mm-hmm. POV scheme. But this does not look like what essentially is almost like a fraction of a budget that you'd expect from a really, really polished um period piece. But back back to the development, actually, the state. So this went through. um like a number of different rounds with screen ireland
1: yeah until then we were chosen to be one of the films and then once we were chosen then there was a further development of the script so we had a script editor which is sarah golding and um and we had our screen ireland um uh, project manager was Dervla Regan, and and so we 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 did uh you know did script development and Elizabeth and uh, Elizabeth and Sarah and we all kind of worked together, but obviously Liz, Elizabeth you know did all the rewriting and stuff like that. So so really by the time uh, by the time I mean we we were ready to film this. Actually, at least a year, if not more of script wise before we actually did, but just because of COVID and various other um, restrictions that were, you know, I was working and stuff like that. But by the time the script was finished, it was I mean, we during the shooting and the run up to the shooting, we did virtually no um, changes to the script at all it's the like it's so strong like the the
0: writing yeah. is so strong like everything in it it's it's just yeah. it's just a really beautiful beautiful film across the board yeah. from performances direction creative choices everything um mm. it, like and and it's a real treat to watch on that big screen it's definitely not something yeah. I'd wait for to filter down for um uh, and, like because of the tension like as a viewer I think you're just <laughs> so tense and I think in many ways it's a perfect post COVID film because it is about a woman trapped in a house. Do you feel like those themes, how or how would that impact the way you'd start
1: developing this then as, as a director? Well, I mean the thing is we, you know Elizabeth once she, when she heard about the POV scheme she, she had this story and she had this idea and she wanted to retell this story and to retell this character's journey and she she felt that uh, it would suit the POV because it was all set. Uh, it could all be set in one house. The original book isn't, but this could all be set in one house. So that was a really important thing, you know, because it had to be manageable. I mean, some of the other films had lots and lots of locations, but um, but for us, actually, we shot the whole thing on, on that location. And um, uh, I mean, obviously, this was done before COVID, um and it probably the idea was conceived and written before really the me too movement completely exploded um but uh, you know the idea of you know investigating um the abuse of power and how we can react to that and how we can all react to the abuser who was trying to control everybody is really fascinating. And it's a, it was really a fascinating uh, subject to explore, you know, Uh, it's nothing old and nothing new. That's for sure. Um, um, But, uh, but still, you know, it it was really, really uh, interesting. And uh, obviously a period piece, but very, very modern, very modern
0: very timely, very subversive. There's, I think also like post-COVID, obviously there was such a high level of domestic abuse reported. There was, you know, like it's it's one of the things where, you know, everything's always gendered, especially when it comes to to power dynamics and control. Um, I think it looks at financial control, coercive control. What, what you do very, very well is how it ramps up as you're watching it. So there's like a charm. There's a bit of tension. There's a bit of back and forth and and it's just that natural ramp up so that, you know, it gets to a very f- heightened place, but it's a very natural way. And and it's so tough for the actors. One of the things that I thought was the most amazing thing is um, Agnes is, is a new find. Her performance is so quiet and powerful and Amazing. Like, how how do you say work with somebody? Like, how do you kind
1: of like get them to elicit this? Well, I mean, you know, if you get your casting right, if you if you if you get that initially, you you've really done so much of the work, you know, because because uh, it's in casting. You know, when we when Agnes, when Aggie, uh auditioned, uh, we just all really loved her and then she did a call back i'm sure and she and it was none of this was in the room because it was during covid and it was at the height of covid when covid had just happened it was in the summer of 2020 and um so it was all um zooms and um self tapes and stuff like that but she just um possessed these qualities of um you know a, a quiet power and um tenacity and uh, but also in vulnerability uh, and Aggie just possessed these. Um and you know she part of Aggie is Maud, you know, part of Maud is Aggie, you know, and, and that's often the case with casting. I'm not saying of course Aggie can play characters that are completely different, but she she naturally has that um vulnerability as well as uh yeah a a steely a steely rod that drives it
0: all you know one of the most surprising things and that I didn't recognize him as familiar as I am with him is Chris Wally in this film.
1: Um, you know, the <laughs> lovable the lovely corconian
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: was... i'm sure most yeah i'm sure most people well chris is an incredible actor he he trained in Radha, he he did uh, and um, he did really such a beautiful audition for this role you know because uh, the scenes I, I gave them to audition i did a couple of scenes and uh, you know edward could have been um perceived as this kind of uh, buffoon but of course, you know, it, it's hard not to sympathize with Edward because he's completely under the power of his father. He has chosen to be so. So he is not without blame. Of course he isn't. But it's it's hard not to sympathize, sympathize with him. And um, Chris, one of the scenes that we auditioned was a scene closer to the end, which could have been approached from... An actor could have chosen to approach it from the more kind of comedic, or it could have been approached from the true kind of emotion of what's going on in the scene, and uh, and and Chris just did an absolutely beautiful audition, such a a, a heartbreaking audition, really. He, I was just he, he's just so terrific in it. He's such such a such a talented actor. Yeah. They're all. Out.
0: And, uh, but I, I I think there's real natural chemistry because it's it's so like, I mean, it's a small enough cast. Everyone is te- like all all the tension and plot comes from like that back and forth tennis match between everyone who's there. um how how important, and again, because it's a period piece, like there's so much more restraints put on like the and and the production design, oh my God, is is absolutely. 100% even the richness of the clothes are beautiful but I presume there's even constraints to you know where you can film and what time you can film that you know you can't angle that way because there's I don't know like a like a, like a, a load of electric electrical wires and things you know like how do you as a director kind of like approach that do you have everything sort of completely laid in because 20
1: days is not enough
0: well not a lot yeah of time.
1: i I mean, the key to successfully achieving a schedule like this is prep. Yeah, you, you, you've you got to prep properly for it. Uh, because uh, for me, you know, if I, I look at my final call sheet of, of the shoot, uh, I have it here. And, uh, you know, we've got, we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 scenes to shoot. And, uh, you, you know, uh, and all of those scenes are important. Um, so you have to prep properly. That location was an amazing location because although uh, obviously it has electricity and stuff like that, it has been very undamaged uh, relatively Um by uh modern life so of course they've got electric lights and of course they've got uh, smoke alarms and stuff like that but things like smoke alarms and stuff are easy to exclude in uh, by simple vfx in in post and we were quite clever um about how we cover up lights which is sometimes i had this little set of miniatures that miniature silhouettes that belong to my great grandmother and we would sometimes use them to cover. If you see the film again, to cover some of the light switches and um, Caroline, our um, production designer, just were very clever about how we cover radiators. There really was surprisingly little. And also because uh, we didn't really use lights. So, so, and we, uh, I love wide angle lenses. And so we had a super wide angle lens, which, you know, I cheered every time we took it out of the box uh, and you'll see it's used a lot. So you can't have, you, you can't have anything. So sometimes we had to visifex out a few things, but really um, the house is so intact in, in a way I mean the kitchens are incredible and it's extraordinary to find kitchens and little corridors in that condition be, uh, these days because more often than not they have been modernized and tell me about um
0: getting the visual sort of setup with and working on that with um Eleanor who does he's the DOP she just like it's spectacular every frame is a painting
1: um yeah yeah some yeah that's you know Eleanor and myself had um, I, I when Eleanor had sent me some of her work and then she read the script and she was just so enthusiastic about it and so just so positive and keen about it you know um and although i hadn't worked with her before um we asked her to do it and uh, you know i it, it was really exciting she was so excited about it i went out and i'd taken a load of photographs um at the location and i don't like to i don't i don't take a you know a super camera with me I I always do it on my phone I always you know frame the photographs in widescreen even if I'm not shooting widescreen I always do widescreen and I grade them a little bit and I just just uh, take the photographs to kind of give an idea of of what I'm thinking about and of the imagery that I like you know even though I'm just doing it on a a phone Uh, and I sent her a bunch of photographs before we actually met in person just to whet her appetite and then We just had lots of chats and um, we talked about a various different. She went and she got some references. I had to I like to have um, to pick a a photograph that I stick on my notebook um, when I'm working on a when I'm working on a job. And so often, particularly if it's a period piece, I'll go into the National Gallery and just buy some of their postcards. And I think I got this one in the National Gallery it's you can see it it's it, it's just a, a very famous painting but um this is in the National Gallery in the in, in London and it's it's called an experiment and a bird in the air pump and it's just beautifully lit and painted and uh, it's quite a grotesque picture um because you know it's a bird basically been experimented and, and and being killed and so we just talked about various painters and looked at images and um, you know, we knew that we would be limited in how we could shoot it in the sense that we wouldn't have a lot of moving uh, tracks, but we would be moving the camera. So we used a, you know, handheld and we used a combination of steady and we used a slider. And then sometimes we just let the scene just sit and be still. So those images, like there's an image of Maud and she's waiting for the family to arrive and she's sitting in her chair and the fire is lighting. And it is a painting, you know. Um, so so we just talked through lots of things that excite us and interest us. And I like to, as I like to plan, and sometimes I have a very clear idea of how I like to shoot something. And sometimes I I don't. I, I want to see what the actors are going to do, but I might know that I want to do the scene handheld. So, So we just did lots of talking.
0: Brilliant. Um, And with regards to um, even things on the script, again, like it's it's such a kind of constraint when it when it comes to shooting. And then, you know, if light isn't working, if it's not matching, do you go back and rejig it? Do you have everything kind of in place that there's a plan B that you can hop to? Um, Did anything kind of change as you were going
1: through production and post-production with regards to the script as well? Not really. No. Um. You see that in relation to the light we we all, we we knew that we were going to do the interior night scenes with candlelight uh, and just with candlelight and um you know we had some candlelight off screen as well Um, And sometimes we had some reflectors or whatever that would just help us bounce light around, particularly in the day scenes. But uh, so we had these double wick candles. And uh, if you see in the big wide shots, those big painting shots, those candles everywhere, but it beautifully illuminates the scene. Um, So that was always going to be controllable. And we had the, the rooms had shutters because these houses do. And so it was easy to block out the natural light. And in our day scenes, Um, most of the scenes were shot. The day scenes were shot in the part of the house that is north facing. So it doesn't get direct sunlight. It never gets direct sunlight. So we were never going to have an issue of the sun coming in. And then not being able to control it later in the day do you know what i mean because the sun never came in so we always knew okay the level of light might be greater or lower but you know we weren't there there was very few occasions where there was difficulty about the light matching because our natural light was so controllable and sometimes as when we were doing exteriors we were running out of light. But um, the sensors on these cameras are so sensitive, you know, that you really can shoot. It can really be almost dark, and it still can feel like daylight when you grade it. So, so we just thought we just thought thought all of these three things through. You always have a plan B for everything because some things happen, um, and plan Bs are often very exciting because everybody just has to think, you know, think quickly and move fast and act fast. But uh, but 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 prep. You know, talking about things and planning for things that 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 really uh, solves a lot of your uh, problems. So you've you've um been working on some really really amazing TV shows
0: at the moment. You have a great like list of of credits, and most recently the Tourist, which is which is again like it's it's kind of hilariously funny with 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 a lovely kind of vein of darkness. And again, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so oh, it's brilliant to it's brilliant to watch. Tell me a little bit about how, you know, like these two things maybe differ, but there's there's things that you can bring from that world into your filmic world.
1: Um. well, the tourist obviously has a, a, a way more money and um, and the tourist has a good budget. So what um, Stephen Murphy was the DOP and the tourist that I've just finished and I've worked with Stephen three times already uh well there was the third time and so what that allows you is that it allows you to conceive shots that uh require a more sophisticated um camera equipment so we did lots of steadicam we did um lots of cranes we did some drone stuff we had lots of tracks uh but we also did handheld a lot of handheld and but it also shows that even though you've got a, a vastly different amount of money to play with if your script is good and if your actors are good and if it's well thought out, you can still produce, uh, you know, some really, really compelling work uh, with, uh, with not a lot of money. Uh, So, so that's the difference is that you obviously can with, with more money, you can be more inventive about how you, how you uh, shoot things. But I mean, if you've no money, you can shoot something brilliant with just a handheld camera and no lights. And tell me as well about you know, like
0: how capturing that is so important with regards to picking that the projects that you're working on as a director, do you have like a bunch of things on a slate? And you're like, well, of course, I'm going to do a show like that. You're going to you're going to get to use so much cool equipment. You're working with great people. You build your network, you build your CV, but then also to do these smaller projects. But you get to completely create the world. That's really exciting. Like, can you just like talk to me a little bit about how you pick the next thing that you work on? Because I know with regards to this it's not always clear when the money will come in if you have something in development as well um do you have like a slate of a bunch of things do you have like agents giving you offers how does it work so i
1: have a, i i have an agent who will come to me um with so so she'll come to me and she say such and such a company are looking for a lead director or they're looking for a director for a block of this series um and uh, you know, we'll have a quick conversation if I don't know the series about whether it's something that I'm likely to want to do. Sometimes I'll read a script and then say, no, I don't want to do it. Or sometimes I'll pitch for it and I might get it or I might not get it. So it really all depends. I mean, what I want to do is I want to work on really good writing. Uh, so I don't particularly want to work on shows, even if they've got massive budgets, if uh, the writing not good. So and at the moment, uh, fortunately, I'm in a position to 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 be able to choose. Um, I had seen season one of The Tourist. Uh, It's just all of these elements, as you say, it's funny. It's got a it's got drama. It's got, uh, you know, a big heart and, um, you know, it's got action. And but but primarily it's really excellent writing. And so when I when I was approached about this, even though it was just the middle, it was the middle block. uh, Yeah, I said, yeah, I'd like to do it because I knew it would be a great show. But yes, primarily my primary interest is to work on great scripts that are telling really good stories with really, really uh, um, engaging characters. Yeah.
0: And so that's that's something that you go for. And at the moment, Hmm. just say, do you have um, a bunch of things, say, in development that you're waiting to come to fruition? Um, Do you work with different
1: writers?
0: Do you so?
1: So um, at the moment, I just have one uh, one feature film in development, which I wrote uh, initially, and then um, Elizabeth came on board, Elizabeth Gooch, and we've, so we have both written this latest draft. It's a completely different story. It is about uh, female resilience, but um, but it's a contemporary story. Well, it's set, in, uh, you know, in Syria, and it's a based on a true story. Um, so so that I'm hoping is going to be my next film and um, we're just um, putting together the casting for it and uh, doing some location work. And so really firing up to, to try and get that made. Yeah. But but apart from that, I don't, you know, I don't have, if people approach me with uh, feature film scripts, um, I'll generally read them and I'll get back very quickly about whether I can whether I'm interested or not. Um, I suppose, you know, my life is very busy because I'm doing it. I do a lot of TV drama and I have three children and, uh, you know, a a very busy household life as well. So, So, yeah, it's very busy trying to juggle all of these things. Yeah, and that's I suppose that's it as well.
0: When it is a feature film and when it's bigger budget, a lot of the time, if it's different funding pots, there's just so many things that you don't always know when they'll come in, and it's tougher. And um, but yeah, it's me- very
1: it's yeah it's, it's extremely difficult to get feature films made, independent films that you know that are that and unless you have an A lister cast, it's uh, almost impossible.
0: <laughs> and and tell me about almost,
1: almost. But I mean, yeah. Yeah, this is across <laughs> the line,
0: and it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, But tell me about the post on lies we tell like so the, like this is something you it's it shot over 20 days, but I presume on something like this, there is a bit of VFX to to cover up bits and bobs. Um, I mean, the sound design and music is just beautiful because it's so tense and it really like elevates it and, and you're on the edge of your seat. Um, And j- just talk to me a little bit about that, what that process was like.
1: So um, as much as I I love post, you know, it's a completely different thing than prepping and shooting. And um, uh, Veronica uh, Kaminska, who cut the film, I had worked with her a number of times as an assistant. In fact, i had been working with her since 2014. As an assistant, she she was working in Egg and I had done a lot of work in Egg. And so she was assistant in a lot of the projects I'd done. And um, I really liked her and I liked her sens- sensitivity and um, her ideas. So uh, we asked her to do this. And so we had a great time in the edit. She, again, loved the script, was very uh, committed and um, uh, to the project. And so once we finished the edit, um uh, to me sound i love sound uh, i think it brings a huge amount um you know uh, bring, brings a huge amount to a project in relation to atmosphere and tension and uh, and all of those things and Aza hand uh, was our sound designer and our mixer and our composer and i had worked again with isa on a number of projects a number of projects where he was the he would have been maybe the sound editor, the sound designer. He'd also mixed a number of things, TV things I had done, and he had just recently started composing. He'd done a film or two with Ivan Kavna. and so he came aboard as composer. And that was very interesting because he's only he's quite new to it, uh, but we collaborated very closely on it. And and yeah, he 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 did a, an amazing job, and he knows how much I love sound. I mean, he you know I all the Poreza, all the rustles, because if you're shooting in a period drama in in a place that's so quiet really, that the sounds really stand out. So, you know, the sound of her moving in her dress, I hadn't driven mad because uh I, you know, I said, Oh, can we have a little more um of you know the sound of her dress there. I just had uh, driven Aza mad, but um but it just adds so much to the 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 clarity and the tension or whatever, all of these little details. And and brings so much um
0: awareness to her physicality as well, which which just plays such a, a big part of you know like she's the like I mean I think she's referred to as a um catch or like mm. a, a goal. And you're like, yeah, instead of a, like a human that has wants to. De- I mean, yeah. and like my thing is, we'd I'd love to say, oh, everything is totally different now. Like, aren't we completely independent? But there's still elements of this in today's society. There's still yeah, that misogyny, absolutely. that ownership. And that's why I think this is so powerful, that message and it resonates so well with people. And one of the most harrowing scenes in the film was that moment with Agnes and Chris. Um, And it's Like there's there's a like a like a like a violence to it, but it's uh, it's really powerful. And I noticed you worked with an intimacy coordinator. I was just wondering if tell me a little bit about like the the importance of capturing that in a safe way and, and how you how you did it.
1: Yeah, I mean um, that was the scene. I, I I didn't really do much rehearsal with the cast before the film, um, apart from because it, these days you you don't really get much time. Now I and myself had worked with each other on Ridley Road, so we knew each other very well, and um, and I had individual con- conversations with all all the actors uh, just so. But the script was in such good shape and I knew we got a great cast. But that scene was the one scene that we did rehearse properly because it involved it involved um, not only stunts, but it also involved intimacy. So so, you know, the um, so I initially I worked uh, we rehearsed one day before we started shooting with Aggie and Chris. And we had our intimacy coordinator, our stunt coordinator, and we just in a room and we just it's like a dance, you rehearse these scenes like it ex- exactly as you would rehearse a dance or a stunt where every move, uh, every position of every hand or leg is rehearsed and it's all worked out very, very slowly. And so the actors know exactly what's going to what they're going to be doing, what's going to happen to them. And they are completely in control of both of the, of their journeys throughout that scene. So that once you rehearse and you do it very slowly, you gradually increase the pace and gradually increase the pace so that you, you know, when you run it at full pace, they still know exactly what they're doing. So, so every move in that scene is completely worked out. And Aggie and Chris are friends, but also they felt very safe with each other. Roisin, our intimacy coordinator, is wonderful with them. And the younger actors, um, do respond very well to intimacy coordinators. Sometimes it's more difficult with the older actors who've done many of these scenes before. Um, and, and, and so, you know, for a certain part of the scene, it's you're working with the stunt coordinator and then that baton is passed to the intimacy coordinator, but it's all about moves. So actually when we shot the scene on the day, it was without stress or tension. Uh, some of the crew found it difficult to listen to it and to, uh, Yeah, to listen to it, because obviously there were very few people in the room when we were actually shooting it. And I always wanted just to shoot it from her point of view, not her point of view. I always wanted to shoot it on her. And uh, and not do lots of editing. I just wanted the scene to play out on her. So there is initial a bit of editing at the start of the scene. But once you kind of once the scene gets going, really, it's just all on her. So it's quite difficult to watch.
0: Yeah, you could feel the audience squirm um, like in the in the screening, like you could really feel how uncomfortable it made people and how visceral it was, but how important it is to sort of capture that, because, again, like yeah, that's that is part of abuse. That is part of control. And it's it's something that's been used to the world over on on women yeah. um, and people that are vulnerable. So like it was just it was very sort of it was very difficult to watch, but it it was it was very powerful.
1: And I think it is very powerful. Yeah. And I mean, and when we were in the editor before we had locked pictures, uh, we got one or two requests or questions back from um. Some of our execs asking, you know, could we, you know, do you have a shot of of Chris or whatever? And my answer would be, why would I do that? Do you know what I mean? It's and in a way, I think it was because you look for a bit of attention release. And by cutting away from her, that would give you that momentary release. But I never wanted we never wanted to do that. So we didn't. And this film has had such a successful festival
0: run and it's going to be released now in cinemas. What has the response been like? Because again, this is just something thematically that is, it's very close to home, I'd say, for a lot of people, even though it is that kind of heightened world in the past. I'm just wondering, has there
1: been much of a... Well, I mean, the, we we've screened the film has screened last night, and then it was in Galway, and then we screened it at a film festival in in France, actually. And the response response has been amazing, um, f- uh, you know, across the board. I mean, the French audience has screened for four days in at this incredible festival in Dinard, and the cinemas uh, for all the films were completely full. Um, and then there'd be Q&As afterwards and the French audience is, you know, completely engaged and and primarily, I mean, you know, I suppose an older audience, maybe, you know, kind of averaging 50 or whatever, but incredibly engaged, um, asking, you know, really insightful questions. And the response uh, has really been very positive. You know, it's not an easy ride, but... Um, but there is some humor in there and also the the performances are just so good and it is also engaging. It's it's just it's just, you know, I, I loved I'd love more people to see this film and uh um and hopefully, you know, just to get people into to get people into the cinemas is the big is the big deal though. And and actually I would say it's not an
0: easy ride in the sense that there's lots of tension but it's very easy watch, in that you're engaged you're on board with all the characters again like the writing the dialogue it's like this kind of back and forth unspoken subtext like you're you're kind of you're really following it like you're following a tennis match yes just, yeah yeah you're you're invested in all the characters even the unlikable ones are so interesting like I, yeah, I think that yeah. I think a real like layered textured villain is fascinating. And that's something you really have captured there where, you know, like in the beginning, he's a bit charming. Maybe he was a bit hard done by like, you yeah. know, like and and you get the nuance of it all. So I, I would say it's a very interesting watch and it's very engaging watch. And like, you know, and it is about resilience and strength and um, power in 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 subversive ways. So I don't. I would I would say it is a very easy watch. I would I would I would watch <laughs> it again. No bother. It's not like one of those films <laughs> that you're like, oh god, that that was really powerful, yeah, yeah. but like never again.
1: <laughs> yeah, Saving Private Ryan. That was that's one of my ones. Saving Private Ryan. I could never watch again. <laughs> never. You, where you come out of it and you're like sweating, exhausting. Yeah. But I mean, that's it's part of the
0: cinematic experience as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You want. Yeah. You want to um, elicit uh, an emotional. Response, you know, from from the audience, and they want that too, and and
0: this this definitely does that, and 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 it's it's like there's parts of it that are upbeat, but it's it's just beautiful, so I definitely one for the 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 big screen. Highly recommend. Yeah. yeah. It. But, yes. Yeah. So thank you so much for chatting with us. No, listen, no problem. That was amazing. Uh, great.
1: You're you're very welcome. Thanks, William.